Hi there, you're listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast, TCC, a home for you. I'm Amy, and I am a mama. I read a lot of stories to my little Nora. So I have a story to share with you all today, and I think the illustrations are going to be up on the screen. So I'm going to get on my mom voice. It is called Little Rock, Big God by Mitch Teamley, illustrated by Trudy Teamley. In the kingdom of Israel, where old Saul was king, lived a shepherd named Dave, who just wanted to sing. While pagans formed armies throughout all the land, David just wanted to form a great band. Some guys are in love with girls or cars. They write songs about them and sing them in bars. But Dave was in love with his mighty creator and always said, Let's worship now, never later. By contrast, King Saul said, Now trust me, you people. I'm king of this hill, and no matter how steeple, if bad guys invade our beloved habitat, I'll just slot them away, because, hey, I'm all that. So God let the Philistines arm up for battle to make sure Saul's pride was sufficiently rattled. They were massive like houses, those fillies, and proud and loved to talk trash and yell really loud. But Saul went against some of Yahweh's commands, deciding to take things into his own hands. So Samuel the prophet said, Man, for my money, God's so over you that it's not even funny. (laughs) Then God said, Yo, Samuel, I've picked a new king who's wiser, wiser and humbler, and boy, can he sing. So go find old Jesse and his age-strapping sons, and when you get there, then I'll show you which one. So Sam went to Jesse and said, yo, get your kids, not the goats, but your sons. And that's just what Jesse did. And each son of Jesse was mighty and strong, but God said, no, 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 now you're doing it all wrong. Don't look for height, but heart that's a fire, who's in love with God and plays a mean liar. Then David came in looking sheepish and sheeper, and Samuel said, yep, he's the one, he's the keeper. Now flash forward to the time when the fills were gathered on all the Judean hills, and the army of Saul in the valley of Elah was cowish and scared and not feeling well, a reminder of everything wrong Saul had done when he went his own way, that old son of a crumb. Then as if those Philistines weren't quite enough, a fellow came out so gigantic and tough that the Judeans said, look, the mountain, it's moving, in a tone of despair, not one of approving. Then the big dude said, I'm called Goliath, and I would just love for someone who's anxious to die to come up here and face me and fight me today. If your God is real Israel, you might want to pray. Then the Israelites looked at Goliath's great size, his elephantine spear, and they saw their demise. But funny, just then little David arrived asking, who ordered corned beef with mustard on rye? (laughs) Shut up, shepherd boy, they all said. It's too late. There's no one that big. We're all doomed. Terminate. But David just grinned and said, gee, now that's odd, because there's someone way bigger than him. And that's God. King Saul said, you can't help, you're only a boy. 
hey, when I guard sheep, Dave said, the lions shout, oi. And with that, he gathered up five little rocks, took up his crook, and marched straight to the top. What's this, roared Gull? I'm no dog to fear sticks. Dave answered, you don't have a chance. Get out quick. Not the ghost of a chance, not the chance of a ghost, because I'm coming to you with the Lord God of hosts. I fight for my gods, roared Goliath, but Jews have only one God, David answered. That's true. But here's the real reason my heart is so free. I don't fight for God. My God fights for me. And Goliath said, huh? Then David put one little stone in his sling, said a prayer, then lifted his arm with a swing. And that stone sailed straight to the proud giant's temple, and the dent that it made wasn't cute like a dimple. Then Goliath, he fell like a tree to the ground, and the fills ran away, barely making a sound. How'd you do it? Folks asked him. How great, but how odd. It's simple, said Dave. Little rock, big God. When things finally calmed down, he picked up his lyre and sang out the psalms with his heart still on fire. And he said when they asked, how'd you keep us all safe? I speak softly and I carry a really big faith. That's great. All right. That was fantastic, wasn't it? I don't know about you, but I'm in the mood for a juice box and graham crackers. You know what I'm talking about? Back to Sunday school. Isn't that great? How many of you know that we serve a big God? All right. Welcome to Trinity. I'm Pastor TJ. Welcome to all of you that are online. It's good to have everybody with us today. Sometimes we forget and we think that the battle is up to us. Sometimes we think that it's all about you. Beloved, you are not strong enough to do all the things that God's asked you to do in your own power. Do you know that? In fact, here's the crazy thing. God never asked you to do all this in your own power. But still we try. Still we try to lift and still we try to do things. The God we serve is a big God. Because um, how many of you know that as humans we're weak? And the older you get, the more that's evident. Right? How many of you realize you're not as young as you used to be? Anybody in that category? I've, uh, I've been transitioning some of my workouts from home and outside to indoor because it's going to be a little bit cooler. I love the fall air. I love the winter air. You can have all the summer stuff you want. I'm not into 90 and 90% humidity. Not this guy. Nope. So I started going back to the gym, and I went back this last, uh, last uh, 10 days I've been back there. And then in 10 days... I have successfully pulled two muscles. <laughs> True story. I jumped in the pool. I like to swim. And um, I jumped in the pool about a week ago. And I'm swimming. I'm, I'm at the hack and I'm swimming around. And they get the saltwater pool and everything's great. And it's been a while since I've been in the pool. So I, I decided to set my expectations low. So normally I'd get in there and I'll swim like maybe, I don't know, 12 or 16 laps. I thought, you know, we're just going to ease into this today, T. Maybe we'll do six or eight laps. That's all it's going to be. We're going to get in, get out. It's going to be great. So I'm there. It's just me and one other guy. And there's a, a girl who's the, uh, uh, the lifeguard. She's probably, I, I think she's 11, maybe, 11. She's got all her stuff. <laughs> so I get in the pool. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. Let's get this thing started. And I start to swim. And I get about halfway through the first lap. And I get a cramp 
in my calf. Have you ever had a cramp before? Have you ever had a cramp when you're swimming? How many of you know it's tough to swim with a cramp? This thing hits me in the calf. I start to flop around like a, like a lion that's been attacked by a great white shark. And I'm like, oh, what am I going to do? Now, thank goodness I could stand, and I'm there, and I create enough ruckus, and the 11-year-old girl comes to me, and she's like, sir, sir, are you okay? You remember, how many of you remember, remember the old, like, CPR stuff? Remember the, Annie, Annie, are you okay? She's not okay. She's not alive. She's not real, right? And I flopped around in the, in the water a little bit. I said, I'm fine, and I, um, I pulled myself out of the pool after uh, a half a lap. <laughs> I sat in the hot tub pondering my existence and how it's come to this. And as I'm sitting there, there's two older people in the pool with me. And one of the guys leans over and he goes, hey, uh, you have fun swimming today? Shut up. <laughs> you can see me. Just shut up. Right? You ever have moments like that? Um, again, so that happened on, on Monday, two Mondays ago. Guess what I did Wednesday? I went back to the gym. Did all my stuff, got in the pool, this time a little bit more gingerly, Right? Stretched a little bit more, and I got in the pool, and I did about, about six laps that day. Why? Because how many of you know, just because you do something one time and you fail, it doesn't mean that you can't do it again, right? Do you know that when it comes to, to health, your health is built not on these one big shot wonder things, but it's built on consistency. You build these little things, and these little things become big things. Your faith is built the same way, beloved. You know, sometimes we want to take these big faith swings like we're swinging for the fences. And great faith is not built just in those big swings. It's trusting God in all of the little things. Little things lead to big things. So this entire month we've been looking at faith. Things that God asks us to do. And we've been looking at how crazy faith, this building of our faith, what it looks like and, and how God can use these little faith steps to not just bring our faith along, but to help to lead others to Christ. We started a few weeks ago, we looked at how God delivered the children of Israel by parting the Red Sea. You know, we look at the great big thing, Moses lifts up the staff and the Red Sea parts, but we forget God brought Moses to this point. It started for him with a burning bush in the middle of the desert with nobody, right? And then we looked the week after that of, you know, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, how God, you know, took these, these, these young men from Israel and through this radical stance, God, God saved them. You see, sometimes God parts your Red Sea and he brings you to the other side. Sometimes God says, my grace is enough, and he's with you in the middle of the furnace. Both of it's faith. God chooses how he interacts with, you know, interacts with us in those things. So today we take another step. So what does your faith look like when instead of just God asking you to hunker down, God speaks to your heart and he says, son, daughter, it's time for you to rise it's time for you to stand. It's time for you to fight. You know that the God that we serve, every once in a while, speaks to our hearts. And he says, son, daughter, get up, stand up, let's get this done. Now, that's tough for us as believers, isn't it? It's okay to just you know, go, my God shall supply all my needs. It's, good for, it's easier for us to hunker down. But what do we do when God asks us to rise? We see a beautiful example of that in the story of David. Man, Amy did a great job with her little book, right? The story of David. So who was David? What a remarkable man David was. By the way, how many have ever done things and you thought, well, God, God's done with me? You ever felt that? You know, I just want to let you know, I know you've had a bad life. I know you've done bad things. Have you ever killed anybody? 
Don't raise your hand. It's a, tr it's a trick question. I've killed seven people, Pastor. And number eight's coming. No. Did you ever struggle with sexual things? Did you ever struggle to not do God's will? Well, if you're here and you've had those, those, those things, maybe you're like, well, Pastor, I've never, never done that, never had that. Well, then, just so you know, you know then, then you're okay. David did those things, and God still called David a man after his own heart. Why? Because he stayed that way? No, because he allowed God to transform him and to change him. You know that transformation comes from God, not from us. If you can handle it, it's not transformation. It's called sin management. That's not what we're into. We're into transformation, Right? So trust me, take a deep breath. You're right where you belong amongst the rest of this, these misfits. We're like the land of misfit toys, right? God puts us together. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. We are. So David is one of these misfit toys. Who was David? David was the youngest of the son of Jesse. He was a shepherder. Now as a shepherd, he spent a lot of lonely nights on the hillsides with the sheep. He'd sing. He'd hone his skills with a lyre. He'd hone his skills with a sling and a stone. This was the place, this lonely place, this was the place that David found God. He knew God. And not only did, God, did David know God, but this is the place that God saw and he knew David. And they had a beautiful thing going on. So you fast forward everything, and again, you heard from our little story. Saul, who's the king of Israel, does some things that cross the line, and God says, I'm done. I need, I need another one. So he tells Samuel the prophet, says, Samuel, we're going to anoint another king, go to Jesse's house. That next king is there. And, and so he goes there. Jesse, you know, he gets all of his stuff. He says, Jesse, get all your boys. And Jesse gets all of his boys, less one, his youngest, right? Stands there. By the way, how many of you have daddy issues? How many of you didn't have the greatest earthly father? You think Jesse had daddy issues? Grab all of your sons. Here they are. Did you forget one? Have you ever forgot a kid? I've forgotten each one of my kids once at a location. Tyler, I forgot him in the nursery when he was a little kid. I get back from church. It's a peaceful day. We were only kids. You know, only, Robin was working somewhere. I'm thinking, what a delightful morning. I got done with church. I get a call from the church. That's odd. Uh, Pastor, are you coming to get Tyler? Yes. This was a test. You passed it. We're not going to tell Miss Robin about this. She doesn't need to know. I left Tori <laughs> at a mini golf batting cage place. Robin and I had a little miscommunication. She was small. I get a call from a, an unknown phone number. Hey, Dad, did you forget something? Maybe. I can tell you forgot something. You forgot me. I'll be right there. You ever forget your children? Jesse forgot or he just didn't think David was enough to call him. If you have daddy issues, do me a favor. Take a deep breath. You have been given a heavenly father. Don't be stuck in the issues of your past. Look at me, beloved. Don't be stuck in the issues of your past. Rise. Rise and be healed. If anybody had an issue to be, have daddy issues, David's at the top of the list. Did it slow him down? Did it stop him? No, why? Because he serves a big God. God can bring healing to all those things. So he does. 
Not even David's own father thought enough of him to call him when Samuel told him to be there. So David finally arrives. He realizes what's going on. Samuel looks at me and says, you're the one. So then Samuel anoints David. The oil pours down him, and David knew exactly what that meant. You see, and you heard last week from, uh, from our brother Alan, when you're anointed, you're anointed for two reasons, to be a priest or to be a king. So he, as the oil's pouring down, what do you think was going through David's mind? What is going on? And after he was anointed, everything was okay after that, right? 20 years after David was anointed, he became king. 20 years. For years, he hid like a dog. He was being chased like a dog because of the anointing and all those things. But he had some temporary promotions. He did. With that anointing came the birth of David's destiny, who he was called to be. Because of this encounter, his dad promoted David from sheep herder to messenger boy, which is probably an upgrade. While delivering food to his brothers one day on the front lines, he encounters this incredible scene. All of Israel, all of the warriors of the Philistines are standing there and they're at this, having this epic battle and that's when he comes face to face with the one he'd be linked with forever, Goliath, the champion of the Philistines. The fight is simple, champion versus champion. The best in Israel would face the best of the Philistines, winner take all. There was only one catch. There was nobody in Israel crazy enough to fight Goliath because he was huge. He was over nine foot tall, a huge mountain of a man. Nobody was crazy enough to face him until that young shepherd boy locked eyeball to eyeball with him. Crazy faith. A ruddy shepherd boy stands up. He looks at Goliath. And this holy discontent comes up inside of him and he says, enough is enough. I don't need to face you myself, but my God will face you. So what made David step up to take on this mighty champion and win? Are there things in this story that David can show us to help us to rise and take out our Goliaths? How many of you know all of us have Goliaths in our lives? We have things, obstacles in our path. That through the help of the Holy Spirit, through God, we can defeat. Do you know that? Some of you have been dealing with your Goliaths for a long time, beloved. It's time to take them out. It's time to move past. If you've got your Bible, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. If you have our app, you get all my notes. If you've got the U, U version of the Bible, look under live events. You'll see Trinity Community Church. If you don't have that stuff and, and you have glasses, take your glasses off and look at this. You should be able to see this from space. Right? Now, do me a favor, just so you know, I get emails all the time. We could paint that wall blue, and people would say, Why did you paint that wall blue? Then some people go, Pastor, blue's the greatest color ever. I know I'm going to get five or six emails and say, Pastor, the words are just too big. They're too bright. It's too sharp. It's too beautiful. <laughs> Don't send me that email. Send that to Robin. Okay, here we go. <laughs> First Samuel 17. The words of David, starting at verse 32. Don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. That's just great. What faith. And then David brings reality, or excuse me, Saul brings reality into David's life. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight the Philistines and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. Thanks for the pep talk, Saul. You're probably going to die, right? 
But David persisted. Beloved, sometimes you have to be persistent. What made David be persistent? God was in him. God was with him. It says, but David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or a bear comes to steal the lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and I rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and I club it to death. I've done this to both lions and bears and I'll do this to this pagan Philistine too. For he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Can you, can you imagine being there? Seeing the passion in David. Now, this had to be more than words for Saul to say yes. He had to feel something. He had to sense something. You know what he felt? Crazy faith starting to rise. How many of you know when God's in the room? How many of you know when God speaks something deep to somebody and you look at it and you go, that's it. Let's go get it. I'll take that hill with you. That's what this moment is. So what does Saul say? Paul finally, he finally consented. All right, go ahead, he said, and may the Lord be with you. Saul understood this. Without the Lord, David didn't have a chance. This brings us to our first stop this morning. What's the first thing that David had to do in order to take out his giant? The first thing he had to do was he had to step up. He had to make a stand. He had to take a step. He had to rise. Beloved, you cannot defeat your giants if you don't acknowledge that they're there. You cannot defeat your giants if you never stand up, step up, and face them. Your giant cannot be the 600-pound elephant in the room that nobody talks about. You, ever, you have some of those? We, everybody's got those, right? It can't be that thing that everybody knows about but nobody talks about. Let's just be real. All of us have giants in our lives. All of us have things that we need to face. All of us have things that we need to work on. So here's my question. Why do we pretend that everything's perfect then? Why do we as believers pretend that we have no problems, that we have no struggles? Why do we try to show everybody that we've got everything together? Everything's fine, everything's fine, and we have no problems at all, right? Have you ever done something and you tried to act normal even though it was almost impossible to act normal? Have you ever been there? I remember when I was in Denver, I had my first encounter with this uh, garnish Green chili, you've, you've had that, the green chili garnish. Depending where you get it from, it could be wonderful and, and, and mild, or it could melt steel, depending on who makes it. The little old mountain ladies, they'd make this stuff, and it would like literally, you could put it on rock, and it would burn holes through rock. Now, the Greeks, we don't eat a lot of hot things. We have honey. You know, we, we, we put that stuff away from the Spartans. We're lovers. We're not fighters. We don't do that stuff anymore. So I'm not, I don't have a palate that eats hot things. I remember my first encounter. I was, a wed, I was at a wedding in Denver, and, and I'd never heard of this green chili garnish, and they had all this stuff there, this buffet, and the lady looks at me. She goes, do you want mild or hot on your thing? And I said, well, I've never had it. What could it be? And she looked at me, just shook her head, and this little old lady sitting next to me, she goes, she goes you can't handle your chilies? I can handle my chilies, <laughs> right? Just something pokes you. I, I can handle that. She goes, give him the hot. Okay, so she gives me the hot. I sit down. I put it down, and I'm, I'm looking at it, and I could tell just from the, the aroma, my eyes are starting to just water just a little bit, and I'm thinking, I'll make it through. This hasn't killed anybody here that I know. I'll get through this. And she sat right next to me, this little old mean lady. You ever notice you get older, some people get sweeter, some people get meaner. 
She got meaner. She did. She sat next to me, and she just watched me. And I took that first bite. It was hot. It was so hot, I lost the ability to speak, see, reason. I, 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 everything went out the window, but I cannot show weakness to this woman. She goes, how do you like it? I said, I ate that whole plate. I learned this about green chili. Green chili is the gift that keeps on giving. You eat it, you taste it all day, and then at some point it says, hello again. It's you, yay. But I had to keep it together, I did. Have you ever been there before? You got to keep everything together, right? Why do we love to pretend that everything's good, that we don't have any problems? Beloved, listen to me. When we do that, when we pretend that we have no issues, we as believers create a false narrative. And we do the gospel of disservice. This false narrative is that none of us as believers ever have any problems and nothing could be further from the truth. And when you live like that, when we live unauthentically, we do damage to the body of Christ. Do you know that? We do. All of us have things that we wrestle with. All of us have giants. We do. Don't pretend like you don't. What happens for us as believers when we realize we have giants? You know what we do? This is when the strength of the body comes to the surface, man. Comes to the top. And we, we join arms together. And we defeat these giants together. We do. So how do we recognize what our giants are? Because all of us have them. First, we recognize our giants first by our struggles. The things that you struggle with the most, again, have been given to you for a purpose. They're giants. So what do we usually do with our struggles? We try to bury those things. Instead of burying those things or complaining, does anybody here ever complain when you have a struggle? You know, some of you are professional complainers. I'll put myself in that category from time to time. Why? You ever done that? You get your hand up, Toby. Put that other hand up too. <laughs> there you go. Make sure we're all on the same page here, right? Instead of asking God, why are you allowing this to happen? What would happen if you said, God, why are you allowing this to be part of my life? God gives us struggles. He allows struggles for two reasons. One, to teach us dependence. And two, to help us to teach and rescue others. So what does it mean that God teaches us dependence? How many of you know that God will supply all of your needs. You will never know God as your provider, Jehovah Jireh, unless you're in need. If you don't need anything, why do you need a provider? You've heard me say this before. You'll never know God, Jehovah Rapha, as your healer unless you're sick. The struggle sometimes is the doorway to understanding who God is. God will allow us to have these struggles to teach us dependence. Beloved, God wants to keep us dependent with him, on him. He just loves it when his children call out for him. And he will have us in that relationship with him, whether you have it all together or not. If the cheese is here and you can get to the cheese, you know what he'll do? He'll move the cheese. To do what? To teach us dependence. Because even as much as great as all of our stuff is, we're not as insulated as we think we are. You're one phone call away from having your entire world change. 
You're one bank transaction away from having your whole world change. One doctor visit away from having everything change. So the struggles teach us that we're not alone. The struggles teach us that there's a rock that's higher than us. The struggles teach us that the God we serve is not some far-off deity, but he's Emmanuel, God with us. He is the God of the struggle. He is. This is what 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says. Paul was struggling with something. He says, but he answered me, my grace is always more than enough for you, and my power finds its full expression through your weakness. So I celebrate my weakness, for when I'm weak, I sense more deeply the mighty power of Christ living in me. Look at verse 10. So I'm not defeated by my weakness, but delighted. For when I feel my weakness and endure mistreatment, when I'm surrounded with troubles on every side and face persecution because of my love for Christ, I am made yet stronger. I love this last verse. Listen to this. For my weakness becomes a portal to God's power. It's okay to be weak. It's okay to be in the middle of the struggle. So the struggles teach us to be dependent. The second thing the struggles do is they teach us, they show us the path so that we can rescue others. Do you know that God has commissioned you to continue on the family business. We talked about this entrepreneurial stuff, right? Do you know that you're part of the family business? Do you know what the family business is? To seek and save the lost. To set captives free. The Bible says that we are part of the ministry of reconciliation. We bring people and God back together. How do we do that? Well, we do that. Again, do you know that anything that you have faced, any Goliath that you faced and you'd overcome, God has given you authority to deal with that thing and to rescue people and to bring them along with you? How many of you have been successful dieters? How many of you, once you've successfully lost some weight, you have deemed yourself an expert to help others with their weight loss? Put the cookie down. You can't lose weight eating cookies. You ever done that? You ever meet anybody that's an expert in things? Did you ever meet anybody that, that beats smoking? Somebody used to be an alcoholic. Somebody that used to be an alcoholic, what do they give you when they, not, when they walk next to you? They give you hope. They give you assurance. They did it. I can do it. What is that? Authority. What is authority? The power to do what God's asked you to do. The power to live a godly life. When you face those struggles, they're not just for you. They're for all the people that will follow you. And beloved, know this. People are watching you. People are following you. Be worth following. Are you still with me? The struggles in our lives, again, show and they serve a purpose. This is what Romans 15.1 says. Those of us who are strong and able in the faith need to step in and lend a hand to those who falter, not just to do what is most convenient for us. Strength is for service, not for status. Each one of us needs to look after the good people around us, asking ourselves, how can I help? I love that. So again, your struggle will show you where your Goliath is. Second, the Spirit will reveal to you what your Goliath is. The more time you spend with God, the more time the Holy Spirit reveals the things in your life that derail you from your destiny. It's like that microscope getting on your heart. He shows you the things in your life that just aren't beneficial anymore. Have you ever noticed this? Remember before Christ? Some of you remember your BC days. Did you ever notice that the stuff you did before Christ and then after you gave your heart to Christ, there were things that you used to do that you just can't do anymore? 
Now, some of it is transformation. God transforms you, and you're like, I don't even want to do that anymore. Some of it is conviction, the Holy Spirit, how you used to treat people, the things you used to do, your habits, and all those things. Have you ever noticed the Holy Spirit brings wholesale change in your life if you let them? Beloved, you're not the person that you used to be. You're somebody that's brand new. The Spirit shows us the Goliaths in our life, the things that we just can't do anymore. Now, this is interesting for us, and this is strange for us, because sometimes, you know, we have personal convictions. There are things that I am personally convicted about that I don't do that you may be fine with. And that doesn't mean that it's a sin for you and not for me. They're just personal convictions. But understand this, the common thread between all that is the revelation that comes from the Spirit. The Holy Spirit will reveal to you those things that God wants you to deal with. He will. He'll reveal to you the strongholds in your life, the giants that need to be dealt with. Now, some of those things, again, that we need to deal with, you may not even be aware of. That's why the Holy Spirit helps you. This is Romans 8, 26. It says this. And in a similar way, the Holy Spirit takes hold of us in our human frailty to empower us in our weakness. For example, at times we don't even know how to pray or, to, or the, the best things to ask for. But the Holy Spirit rises up within us to super intercede on our behalf, pleading to God with emotional sighs too deep for words. God, the searcher of our heart, knows fully our longings, yet he also understands the desire of the Spirit because the Holy Spirit passionately pleads before God for us, his holy ones, in perfect harmony with God's plan and our destiny. This is why it's important that we spend time with God and we listen. This is also why it's important that we allow the Holy Spirit to do his work in us. We're going to practice that right now. Shut your eyes for a second. I may lose 10% of you. Take a deep breath. We're going to pray this simple prayer. Holy Spirit, search me. Show me anything in my life that's keeping me from you. And just listen to what he tells you. You know what's interesting? Don't forget, the Holy Spirit speaks to you. He speaks to you just like he speaks to me. The Bible says, my sheep know my voice. The thing that the Holy Spirit revealed to you, was that really a shock to you? Probably not, right? Maybe a confirmation. So we know that your struggle points you to your, your Goliath. The Spirit will point you to the obstacle. And third, your supporters will also tell you where your Goliath is. What are you, who are your supporters? These are the people that are in your life. All of us have blind spots. All of us have things that are part of our lives that we just cannot see. Um, we, when we drive around, my wife and I, we, we have different roles, very distinct roles in our car when we're driving around. Usually I'm driving. Um, I'm more of a safety driver. I drive pretty slow. Robin is the co-pilot, and her primary job is to pretend to hit the brakes on the passenger side and to scream when she believes we're in mortal danger, which I don't think we're ever in mortal danger, but she believes we're in mortal danger often. Sometimes pulling into a spot at Walmart, ah, and honey, what are you doing? You're going to hit that. We have sensors all over the car. You might as well wrap it in bubble wrap. We're not going to hit anything. So we're driving last week. We're taking the Allens to their hotel uh, back to doing stuff, and I'm, I'm in the driver's seat. She's in the, the co-passenger seat, and the Allens are in the back. Or the Allen and the Griffins are in the back. And we're driving across. My wife's 
innate skill. And her job, she pulls off beautifully. This car comes ripping past us. I don't even see it. And she screams, ah! Like this. And it startled me enough. I go like this, and I hit the brakes, and a car flies right past us. And if she wouldn't have screamed like that, I would have hit it just dead on. Dead on. And, you know, I don't know what would have happened. So my heart's beating like this. And I said, honey, um, I just got to say, thank you. Thank you. And she was just like. And now she's louder and she's more, we're going to have t-shirts. This is going to be great. I'm the co-pilot. I didn't see the car. She did. All of us have blind spots. We do. This is why we need each other. This is why we need each other. Now, I know it's funny. These things that we don't see, they may be blind spots to us. I can promise you this. Those that are, are in your circle, none of those things take them by surprise. They don't. So here's the question. Do you have people in your life that love you enough, that you trust enough, that will tell you the truth about your blind spots? If you don't, you're not living in community. God's called us to live in community. And I'm not, this is what community's not. Community is not a one-way street. Community isn't you telling people about them and them not having access to you. Community is a two-way street. Do you have people in your life like that? If you don't, oh, dear goodness, here we go. Everybody say, Pastor TJ. <laughs> We love you because Jesus said we had to. I'm going to say it because you love me, right? If you don't have people like that in your life, that's not a them problem. That's a you problem. Let that sink in. I'm not saying that mean. I'm, I'm admonishing you. It's a you problem. All of us, I have men in my life that speak truth to me. All of them have been invited by me. All of them. All of them. All of them. And they tell me things I don't want to hear. Sometimes I want to punch them. In Jesus' name. <laughs> Why? Because I've given them access to speak those things to me. And they keep my heart, the compass of my heart, pointed in the right direction. Proverbs 27, 6 says this. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to, you're never going to hear a pastor ever say this. <sighs> Take a deep breath. Shut your eyes for a second. Ask the Holy Spirit. Say, Holy Spirit, show me the two or three, even one to start with, that I can start to build that relationship with. If you don't have them, this is the time. If you do have them, maybe you haven't connected with them, get connected. Listen to who the Holy Spirit reveals to you. <laughs> we're going to do something nuts. You ready? You'll never hear a pastor say this. Pull out your phone. Text them right now. Say, I love you. Uh, we need to get together right now. Go ahead. Get it started now because if you don't, you know what's going to happen? You're never going to do it. And, and do me a favor. Y'all can't text me. <laughs> pastor TJ, you're like my guy. <laughs> I get it. I can't be everybody's guy. Right now, just do it. If you don't have anybody right now, pray. We're going to get that. We got to fix it. Why? I want you to finish well. You can't finish on your own, beloved. There's no Lone Ranger Christians. 
can't finish on your own. Start that covenant relationship now. Okay, take a look at the passage again. Look at verse 38. Is this too strong today? Are you okay? It gets worse, don't worry. Here <laughs> we go. It says, then Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet and a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped the sword over it, and took a step or two to see what it was like, for he had never worn such things before. I can't go in these, protested Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off again. He picked up five smooth stones from the stream, and he put them into his shepherd's bag. Then armed only with the shepherd's staff and a sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistines. So the first thing we learn from facing your giants, your Goliaths, is David had to step up. He had to face them. The second thing was David had to suit up. What does that mean? Again, it means this. All of us have been given tools designed to help us to be victorious in Christ. In fact, all of us have been given everything we need to live out God's destiny for our lives, to live out all the purposes that he's called us to live out before the foundation of the world was laid. He gave you everything that you need. So if we've been given all this stuff, all these good things, then why do we fail when it comes to taking on our Goliath? Do you ever think about stuff like that? Why do we fail? Usually as believers, we fail for two reasons. One, we're using the wrong weapons. And two, we don't know who we are. First, we love to fight spiritual battles with earthly weapons. We do. In every battle you face as a believer, there's, an, there's a physical component to it, and there's also a spiritual component to it. Now, for the most part, we are great with the physical pieces of these things. We can get insight from others. We could always do a Google search. We could listen to a podcast, something to build us up to take on those things. We got earthly stuff coming out of our ears. But how do we approach the spiritual part of the things that we face, the spiritual Goliath? Beloved, you cannot deal with a spiritual problem with earthly tools. You can't fight spiritual battles with earthly weapons. You just can't. I remember coming out of school the first place that they put me, my first assignment, my, my internship, was at a little church in Plant City, Florida. Uh, the church was massive as far as the building was. It was one of the biggest ones that Florida had until they hit troubled waters. Leadership team was destroyed. The church scattered. By the time I got there as an intern, a youth intern, the church that used to run 800 was running 50 in a cavernous sanctuary that's had about 1,000. About, about and the weirdest thing that happened was this. It wasn't just the church was sad, but there was something wrong with the church. I mean, like wrong. You'd walk in and you'd feel weird things. I remember one time Robin and I were in there, and you know, this is before Ted. This you're talking like 30 years ago. One bank of lights, and we're in there, and I'm just sitting there, we're praying, and we're talking, and I'm physically watching the light switches one at a time go dink, dink, wow. dink. Exactly. And being a Man filled with faith, trained to take on darkness. You know what I did? I left. <laughs> not today, devil, not today. <laughs> no, not today. Before we got there, uh, the guy that I replaced left suddenly because he came into the church and the piano was playing by itself. So what happened was there was a, a coven that had targeted the church. They'd take things off the church, screens, doorknobs, stuff like that, and they were points of contact to pray. And in that area, every church that they would target, they would just take down one at a time. 
So my pastor there was a very wise, one of the wisest men I ever met. I thought he was so old and wise. He was 31 years old. Wow. He didn't know what to do. So he said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to pray. We're going to pray every Sunday night till this thing leaves. And we did. And I can't tell you when it happened. I just remember going to the church one day and it was like free. It felt free. It was done. Why? Because we took spiritual tools to deal with the spiritual problem. Capiche? That's what we do. You take spiritual tools and you deal with spiritual problems. Why? Because, beloved, there's a spirit world that sits behind the natural world that we've got to deal with. And don't forget this. The church is the only thing on the planet that's equipped to deal with darkness. There's nobody else. It's us. We stand between the world and them being overcome by darkness. You stand in the gap. Did you hear me? You hold back the tide. That's what you do. This is what Ephesians 6.12 says. The words of Paul, the church in Ephesus. For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you'll still be standing firm. Verse 14, stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so you'll be fully prepared. Verse 16, in addition to all these things, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit which is the word of God and pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion stay alert be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere Paul lays out the spiritual battle it's not just about your intellect and our, our slickness this is why for family fest that's happening in seven days we've been praying by the time family fest comes we'll be praying for 31 days Praying and fasting for 31 days. Why? We are facing a spiritual battle. So you know what's going to happen next Sunday? It's going to be beautiful. There's going to be climbing walls, and slides. We have a mechanical pool. Did we tell you that? <laughs> Old people, you're going to have to sign a waiver. <laughs> Old men that think they're young, you're going to have to sign a waiver. I did this back in the day. Oh, my back, Right? We have a corn maze. We've got hay rides. We've got hot dogs and food and trunks and candy and all these things. And you know what's going to happen next week? It's going to go flawless. Why? Because we've been praying for 31 days. We've been fasting for 31 days. The battle's not mine. The battle's the Lord's. We're going to get out there. We're going to see amazing things happen. People are going to come to Christ. People are going to be set free. Families are going to move from death to life. Why? Because we've been praying. It's a spiritual battle. You think it's about candy? And we're going to have that too. Don't get me wrong. Sometimes it's not either or. Sometimes it's and and both. Snickers, Jesus. You can have them both. It's a spiritual battle. Beloved, don't forget that. Don't forget that. Use the right weapons for the right battle. Right? Second, one of the reasons we fail is this. We try to be somebody that we're not. Identity is a big deal. Be who you are. In the heat of the battle, Saul thought he was helping David by giving him all of his stuff. And his stuff was superior, and his stuff was great, but there was one problem. The stuff, his armor, all the stuff was made for Saul, not for David. Didn't fit. Sometimes we fight the battles right in front of us with other people's stuff. And for us that are older, 
We need to know the difference between how we're equipping people and then just tell them to do what we do. There's a difference. We equip people. Remember what does the Bible say? Train up a child in the way he should go and he won't depart from it. You know what that Hebrew actually means? Find the bent of the child and point them to God through their bent. And then they won't. Before we thought, if I just beat Jesus into them, they'll never leave. How has that worked for you? You find their natural bent, how God has created them to be, and you point them through God through the bent. That's what we do as disciplers. We find the gifts in people, and we point them to God through the gifts. We don't replicate us. Now, you could take spiritual disciplines and help people to grab those things, but they can't be you. In fact, you'll never realize your destiny and become the person that God's created you to be until you know who you are. You can emulate people. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ, but don't not be you. Ephesians 2.10 says this, even before we were born, God planned in advance our destiny and the good works that we would do to fulfill it. Be the person that God called you to be. Let's bring this plane down. Look at verse 41. Goliath walked out toward David with a shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog, he, uh, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the name of his gods. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals, Goliath yelled. Again, I love this. Young David. Verse 45, David replied to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today, the Lord will conquer you and I'll kill you and cut off your head. And then I'll give your dead bodies uh, to your men, uh, to the, and your men to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there's a God in Israel. Verse 47, and everybody assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with a sword and a spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he'll give you to us. As Goliath moved closer, David quickly ran out to meet him, reaching into a shepherd's bag and taking out a stone. He hurled it with his sling, and he hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in, and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. Verse 50, so David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. That's interesting, isn't it? He had no sword. He used what God gave him. Kind of sounds familiar, right? Moses and the staff, right? Use what God gives you. Then David ran over and he pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath. David used it to kill him, to cut off his head. When the Philistines thought that their champion was dead, they turned and they ran. So how do we possess giant killing faith? First, you have to be willing to step up. Acknowledge what your giant is, who your giant is. Face up and meet it. Second, you have to suit up. Understand that the battle is spiritual. And understand that you need to be the person that God created you to be. And finally, we need to be willing to stand up and do what God is asking us to do. You can't just be who you think God wants you to be and not do what he asks you to do. This is where our faith meets our reality. This is where the rubber meets the road. David, at some point, had to move from talk and vibrato to actually taking on the giant in front of him. He had to move into action. Now notice what David didn't do. David didn't walk up to his giant and just stand there and do nothing. David did not debate with his friends, is that a giant or not a giant? David did not, wasn't paralyzed by theological expression, well, I don't know, maybe, I don't, I don't want to ruffle the favor. David didn't stop. What did David do? He took the tool that was in his hand, his sling, got his little five stones from the brook, and he did what God had trained him to do. Do you know that God trained David 
for that moment to do what he did? Well, how did God train David? When he was a shepherd, taking out bear and lions and all those things. Do you think David knew at the time that he was a shepherd, that he was being trained to take out a Goliath? You think maybe every once in a while David maybe commiserated? Come on, God. I want a piece of the action. You see, when I read this, you know what I think of? Because I'm an 80s kid. I think of the Karate Kid. Mr. Miyagi. How many of you remember Mr. Remember Mr. <laughs> Be careful with that. Huh? Do you remember how Mr. Miyagi trained David? No, not David. Michael. Michael? No. Daniel. Daniel. Daniel's son. Daniel's son, right? Remember? What did he do? What did he do? Paint the fence. Can do it with me. Paint the fence. Wax on. Wax. Say it again. Wax on. Did Daniel, Daniel's son, did he know he was being trained to fight when he was doing all those odd jobs for Mr. Miyagi? But he was. It became natural. It's what David knew to do. He had no idea at the time he was being prepared to face his Goliath. Beloved, every battle you fight now is given to you with purpose to help you to accomplish what God's calling you to accomplish in the future. Perhaps the thing that you're facing right now isn't an obstacle, but it's preparation to help you to get past and become the person that God wants you to be. Too many times we ask God, why me? Perhaps we need to ask God the question, Lord, what are you trying to perfect and shift and do in me? So David steps up, he takes out his Goliath, he defeats him. And the victory isn't just for him, it's for the entire nation. When we become the people that God creates us to be, Everybody wins. This is why in the house of God, there's no jealousy. This is why in the house of God, we don't pull on others' gifts. We celebrate when we figure out where the path is and we do what God wants us to do. So here's the question. What is God trying to do in you with the Goliath that's in front of you? What's he perfecting you to do? Who is he creating you to be? Bow your heads. This is your divine purpose. This is your divine purpose, beloved. Who are you? Who are you? I just want you to take a minute, listen to the Holy Spirit. All of us have giants. All of us has Goliaths. Ask God what he wants you to do with yours. Whatever he tells you to do, do. In a minute, we're going to take communion together. Listen. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. We hope this met you exactly where you are. To learn more about us, head to our website at tccde.com or follow us on social media at Trinity Community Church. TCC, a home for you.